Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Good morning, Christ Fellowship. Buenos dias, buenos dias. I want to give a special highlight to Sue Saka, who's in the house. She's with us. She is one of our missionaries in Zambia. Sue, thank you so much for being with us today. Why don't we thank God for her and for her husband and the ministry that they have. We, oh, thank you. As you know, we're going through the Bible every single week, and today we will be highlighting the book of Daniel. But before we talk about the book of Daniel, I want to bring up, bring up a couple of things. One is that I know that we should know that pretty much there was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. In the northern kingdom, how many tribes were there? In the northern kingdom... Ten. Ten in the northern kingdom. And someone conquered them. Who conquered them? Assyria took the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom, how many tribes were there? Two. You did 12 minus 10, too. I know that's pretty good. Two. And who ended up conquering them? The Babylonians. So that's important to remember, and the Babylonians conquered them, and there were three waves, there were three exiles. There's going to be a slide behind me. In this slide, you'll see exile one, who was taken? Daniel in 605, exile two, Ezekiel is taken, and exile three, the temple is destroyed. When Daniel is taken in the first exile, Daniel was 15 years old when he was taken. Ezekiel was 25 years old when he was taken. So there you see there's three waves. I'm going to give you some quick facts about the book of Daniel. The type of book is prophetic. The amount of chapters is 12. I know some of us, uh, maybe you read the book this week in preparation for it. I know other books, they're much larger, harder um, to read before the week before the Sunday, but it's only 12 chapters. So if you didn't get a chance to read it, it's homework for tonight or tomorrow before you have a burger or a hot dog, okay? So the moment you're tempted to have a burger or a hot dog, you got to remember, I got to read those 12 chapters in the book of Daniel. Date written is going to be there, uh, 536 to 530 BC, period covered 536 BC to the future, the author, Daniel. The book division is actually pretty simple to remember. The book is divided in two parts. Chapter uh, one through six is pretty much the prophet Daniel and his friends there. Prophet Daniel and his friends, chapters one through six. And chapters seven through 12 are the prophecies of Daniel. Now, chapters one through six is in chronological order pretty much in the story of Daniel, but chapters 7 through 12 is almost like like just a little library of the different prophecies that Daniel received, not necessarily in chronological order. Key verse is Daniel chapter 2.21. It says this, he changes times and seasons, referring to God. He disposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. So in the book of Daniel, how many of us know that there's definitely many important stories and famous stories, but there are two very famous stories that there's movies about, they're um, kids' church, they probably reenact a lot. Uh, What are the two very famous stories that in the book of Daniel? Daniel in the lion's den, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
So those are two major stories there. And instead of me reading the story here, I thought of something much better. I have two amazing younger generation members of our church that are going to share the story. The first one is going to be Daniel in the lion's den by Samuel. So Samuel is going to come out. My nephew, he's going to be reading it. Well, not reading it, telling us the story. Why don't we thank So there were, there was a king, there were three administrators and 120 satraps. One of the three administrators was Daniel. And Daniel was very wise and he was chosen by the king to be an administrator. The other, and the king was planning on making Daniel number one. So the two other administrators were pretty jealous of what the king was going to do with Daniel. So they plotted uh, against Daniel to make him lose his position so they'll have a chance of being number one. So then they, they had convinced the king to make a law that you, mu- that you must worship king, the king for 30 days straight. And then soon after that, the two other administrators were spying on Daniel and saw him praying three times a day and asking God for help. So they had rushed to see the king and tell him what Daniel was doing. And then they threw Daniel into the lines. And, and then during the night when the king was going to sleep, he couldn't fall asleep. And he didn't eat and have any entertainment. And in the morning when he woke up, when he rushed to see if Daniel lived, He called down and asked and yelled, Daniel, has your God saved you from the lions? And Daniel responded with, yes, God has sent an angel down to shut the mouths of the lions, and I've lived. So then the king sent orders that they would lift Daniel out of the lions then. And then the two other administrators who plotted against them were thrown into the lions then with their wives and children. And before they even touched the ground, the lions killed, had killed them. Then the king changed the law that you must fear and respect Daniel's God. Awesome. Great job, Samuel. There, I just want to highlight there with that picture, too. This is actually a very famous picture of Daniel in the lion's den. You see Daniel looking up to God in the middle of his circumstances. I mean, this is, this is pretty much a witness to all of us that we look to God in the middle of our troubles. And if you look at the lions, they're not looking at Daniel. They're looking up too because it's like God telling them you're not doing anything. You're not touching Daniel. And this happened when Daniel was 90 years old. So you know that Daniel have seen God's faithfulness throughout the years, and he was confident that he was going to be delivered. Next, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the story that has to do with them, is going to be done by Helena. Come up, Helena. Here you go. You can right here. In Nebuchadnezzar's army defeated the Israelites. Now he was their ruler. King Nebuchadnezzar built a golden statue. Then he made a bad law. It said, when the music plays, everyone must bow down to the golden statue. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow down to the golden statue. So the king got mad, and the king put them in the furnace. And then when the king looked, he saw a fourth man, and it was an angel from God. Then the king said, Come out, your God has saved you. And the king made them him rulers of his kingdom. 
Awesome. Great job, Helena. Why don't we thank God for Helena? She ran back there and gave Elliot a big hug, a big hug. I'll just put this here. They did a great job. And here in the picture, you obviously see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the fourth person there also walking among them, which is such a powerful, powerful story. In Daniel chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, it says this, Among those who were chosen were from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego. So here you see the names that they had, their Hebrews name, and also the chains that were given to them. We're going to highlight quickly, obviously we can't do this with every um, book we've done, but we're going to highlight quickly some of the chapter divisions. We're going to do it in two different parts. Here, um, chapters one through six, there's going to be the slide behind me. You'll be able to get an idea. Chapter one, Babylon is conquered. Obviously, this is the first wave. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar ends up getting Daniel and all the young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and everyone that he wanted to eventually go there and get in Babylon and be trained. For three years, they put him through a training. You know what they wanted to do? Pretty much deprogram them from following God to following the gods of Babylon. So it was a deprogramming time period for them to lose their identity, to lose their identity. So many times, that's why they changed their names. They didn't want them to have the identity of following God. And we have to be careful not to allow the world to deprogram us and change our identity from following God. Chapter two, it's the statue dream. All of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar was troubled because he ends up having a dream and he asked people to give him the interpretation of the dream. But what he said is that, I'm not gonna tell you what the dream is. Um, You have to tell me what the dream is and its interpretation. Everyone's like, that's impossible. Long story short, he wanted to kill everyone But Daniel stepped up and gave him the revelation of the dream. And it's going to be a picture here behind me. Pretty much um, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of a large statue and it had different sections to it. And this is what um, Daniel said. The head of gold represents the kingdom of Babylon, which King Nebuchadnezzar um, represented. The chest and arms were silver, the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, the belly and the thighs of bronze, the kingdom of ancient Greece, the legs of iron, the kingdom of ancient Rome, Rome, feet of iron and clay, the kingdom of the restored Rome. And then it said from the statue, in the dream he saw a rock come, destroy the statue, become a large mountain, and then take over the entire earth. And besides Daniel signifying what every pretty much color is it, he was telling um, King Nebuchadnezzar the empires that are about to come. But in the end is there's going to be a kingdom that's coming that's going to destroy the kingdoms of man, and it's going to take over the entire earth, and we know that kingdom is the kingdom of God. So here, all these empires will come, but when Jesus steps on the scene, proclaiming the kingdom to come, and knowing that God's kingdom is always advancing, is going to rule and take over the entire earth. We're going to go back to the chapter divisions. Chapter 3, there's the story of the gold statue that we just heard right now. With the blazing fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't want to bow down to the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar built. Now, this statue was 90 feet high. Picture how high that is. I mean, I don't know how high these ceilings are, but definitely at the very least up to the ceiling. So it's a humongous, humongous statue that was built. 
okay? And everyone had to bow down to it. And you heard the story that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't bow down to it. Now, something that's interesting is that King Nebuchadnezzar built this years later from Daniel discerning the dream of the empires that were to come. Remember, King Nebuchadnezzar was only the head of gold. Now he's like, no, 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 chill, chill, chill. I'm not, uh, he's thinking, I'm not going to be king just for a little time period. I'm going to build a new statue. Even though God has revealed that my time is eventually going to be up, nope. I'm going to build a huge statue 90 feet high to declare that my kingdom is going to reign forever. That's the way he was thinking. And everyone's going to bow down and worship me. So there you hear that story in chapter three. Chapter four is the tree dream, another dream that he receives. And this one was troubling him so much. It's about a huge, large tree that ends up getting cut, only the stump left. And Daniel revealed that tree symbolized him that God's gonna cut his kingdom away from him, cut the kingdom away from him. And also that he's gonna end up being with a wild beast and pretty much acting like an animal for until he admits and declares that God is king. Think about that. King Nebuchadnezzar was so prideful that God removed them from where he who was at and said, you're not going to be restored until you confess that God is king, that the most high rules. And when you think about our own lives, we go through our lives so many times thinking that we're kings of our lives. And there's pride in our lives. And something that's so powerful is when we declare that God is king. All of a sudden, um, there, that, um, that's chapter four that you would be able to read. Chapter five is the writing on the wall. Now, this is probably one of the most unique stories of the book of Daniel. And just to help with this story, I brought a little assistance. I brought a hand, all right? So in this story, out of nowhere, they're having a party. And it's King Nebuchadnezzar's son now is king. And out of nowhere, a hand appears and starts writing a message. Picture my arm not being here, okay? This isn't an extension of my hands. Uh, And a hand writing pretty much a message on a wall out of nowhere. You're probably wondering, what type of party is this? Like, you know what I mean? Like, all of a sudden, you're seeing a hand writing a message on the wall, and it's, it's something that grabs their attention, they're perplexed, and they need an interpretation of what, of what this message means. And this is what it says on, on the wall. It says, Mene, Mene, Tekel Perez. And I'm just going to read real quick. It's not going to be behind you, but this is what the message is. And Daniel interpreted. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Now, this is for King Belshazzar. He says, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel means you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And all of a sudden, that same day, that night, that king ends up dying. So God Prima said, your days are numbered. And that day was the last day that he was reigning. Chapter 6 is Daniel and the lion's den. Chapter seven is Daniel's dream of four beasts, which this dream is very similar to the statue showing the four empires that's gonna come that we already highlighted, but it's in a different fashion. Chapter eight is Daniel's ram and goat vision, um, pretty much highlighting the different empires that are to come as well and about the future. And even Daniel mentions here that his own vision was hard to understand. Chapter nine is Daniel's prayer. Something that's interesting with chapter nine is that Daniel is 
reflecting on how Jeremiah said that they would be in Babylon for 70 years. So here Daniel is thinking about what Jeremiah said. So he's pretty much counting the time period. Daniel was in Babylon through five kings altogether. So all of a sudden, he's there thinking of the time period, counting the years, trying to figure out when he's going to come back. And what he focuses on is asking for forgiveness. Asking for forgiveness. He's standing in the gap, asking for forgiveness for the sins of everyone that's, um, for everyone uh, of his people. And as he prays, the angel Gabriel shows up. And you could read more about that. In chapter 10 is Daniel's vision of a man. Here is where it's highlighted the Daniel fast. Every year we start the first 21 days in fast, um, fasting. And this is symbolic and of course, and taken from this chapter. And all of a sudden, something that's interesting here with the vision of a man, all of a sudden here he, he ends up getting a visit from an angel and the angel tells him that he, he was delayed in his journey in getting to him because there was opposition spiritually to stop, try to stop him from reaching Daniel. So think about that. Think about spiritual warfare. Angels and demons are real. And here, the angel is revealing to Daniel, I was trying to get to you, but all of a sudden there was opposition from the enemy And the archangel Gabriel had to come and help me so that I could win that battle to get to where you were. So here you get a glimpse of the spiritual warfare that occurs. And that's in chapter 10. Chapter 11, it talks about the kings of the south and the north, about the empires and the wars and the invasions that were to come. Chapter 12 is the vision of the end times. It talks about how the Jewish people will be delivered um, and their, uh, if their name would be found written in the book of life. And you see pretty much glimpses of different statements that could have dual meaning, not just for Daniel referring to what's to come in the near future, but also in the distant future as well. I just wanted to give you a little taste so you could see what's happening in the first 12 chapters of Daniel. Now, there's so many different lessons that we could take from the book of Daniel. So many different lessons. We could always remember how Daniel wasn't willing to compromise his convictions and his faith. Something that I love about Daniel is that when he prayed, the Bible specifically says that he opened his window. So think about that. Like, if there's a decree that you're not allowed to pray to anyone else besides the king, you know, and, and it's like, you would, what would you do if you're in Daniel's shoes? Like, would you close the window, do it privately? Daniel didn't change nothing about his life. He opened the window for the world to see, and he didn't compromise his convictions or where he was or where he stood. Also, we know that God was Daniel's anchor to his life. We also know the faithfulness of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that were willing to die to follow God, like if that was the price that they had to pay. But we know Daniel is the author of the book of Daniel. And despite of all the amazing stories and the different things and the prophecies, as an author, there's an ultimate goal that you want to have. There's something that you want to paint. There's something that you want to communicate. There's something that you want to get across to everyone. And of course, we're not able to sit down and interview Daniel, but we see a common theme throughout the book, and it's about God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. From the beginning to the end, you see God's sovereignty. From the beginning with the stories that occurred, even in the end, the revealing of what's to come in the future kind of is like nothing will catch me off guard. Nothing is going to like surprise God. Nothing is going to be done without God allowing it to occur. God is sovereign and he's king. 
Something that's interesting with uh, the book of Daniel is that it refers to the most high God 10 times. The most high God 10 times and four times as the highest one. That God sits on the throne and he's king. I know that you think in your mind you're king of your house, right? Or you're the queen of your house. Imagine someone shows up to your house and be like, you know what? Your couch shouldn't be there. You should move the couch a little bit to the other side of the wall or tell you how to cook, when, when to cook, when to clean, where you should put your stuff. All of a sudden you're gonna be like, you know, who do you think you are? You know, tell me what to do with my house, with my space, because you, in your mind, you're the king of your space. I know I'm the head of the house. My wife is the neck. So she control, uh, controls the head a little bit. I felt like she was going to choke me right there a little bit. No, like she controls me a little bit, you know. But obviously, like we're the ones that you feel like you're in charge of your house. God is the king of the universe. God is the, the king of everything. He's sitting on the throne of heaven. He doesn't need your approval or permission to do what he wants to do. He doesn't have to check in with you. It's amazing that God even wants to reveal things to us and include us in his plans. You know, it's like God does what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, the way he does it, even if it doesn't make sense to us, and even if it's not in, we're not in agreement with it, it doesn't change what God wants to do. When he wants to do it, he'll get it done. Whatever he does is right by definition, not because it's rational to us or agreed upon one another. God's sovereignty means that he literally doesn't have to answer to anyone, and he's the ultimate authority, ultimate authority. So here in the book of Daniel, whenever you read the book of Daniel, I want you to think of God's sovereignty, how he's king. He is king whether you like it, whether you don't like it, whether you believe it, whether you don't believe it, he's king over every atheist that lives in this world. He is king regardless of everything. In Psalm 135, verse 6, it says this, the Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all their depths. In Psalm 24, 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Everything belongs to God. Everything that lives in the earth belongs to God. Everything that at this moment you think belongs to you actually belongs to God. You know, that house you have, that's God's. <laughs> that money, I don't care if it's $5 or $5,000 that's in your wallet right now, that's God's. You know, I don't care if you got a penny or you got a billion dollars in the bank account. It's all God's. Like God owns everything, everything. Nothing is ours. In Job chapter 23, verse 13, it says this, but he stands alone and who can oppose him? He does whatever he pleases. In Proverbs 16, 4, it says, the Lord works out everything to its proper ends, even the wicked for a day of disaster. So even though those that are wicked, those that are evil, those that rebel against God, God is still king over them and he's going to work it out for an end for them as well. There's only one throne and God is sitting on it. So what I want to highlight here today is God's authority and sovereignty over four areas. Obviously, it's over everything, but four that we see clearly in the book of Daniel. The first one is this, God's authority over nations. It's going to be right here behind me, God's authority over nations. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 2, it says this, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. So here it's pretty much saying that the Lord delivered the king of Judah, Israel, into the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar. I know that we always, of course, highlight that Babylon came and conquered Jerusalem and conquered Israel. 
The reality is God handed um, uh, the king and Jerusalem over to Babylon. God allowed it to happen, handed it over because it was time pretty much for them to face the consequences of what they've been living. It says there, um, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. So here you clearly see God's hand over nation. God's hand is over every nation. Whether we agree or disagree with what's happening, God is the one that raises up kings and lowers them. God is the one that decides, and even if it doesn't make sense to us, God is ultimately the one that decides who's going to reign. He's going to, if that's not the case, then we don't believe he's sovereign. He allows these things to occur. And in our country, of course, we vote. And the reality is you could vote, I could vote, but in the end, God has his last vote and his vote counts for everything. And he decides. And God's not Republican. God's not Democrat. God's not independent. God is in a league of his own and he votes according to his plans, what he wants to get done. And this is with every position of influence from the top to the bottom, even in countries that we don't agree with what's happening for some reason or another, God has allowed it. God has allowed it. And we like, you know, even like, like with Daniel, like Daniel admitted, like he didn't know the response or the reasons for um, the interpretation of certain of his visions. We could easily go to God. We're like, God, I don't understand why and how and how come this uh, occurred. But ultimately, what's important for us all to know is that we can't pick sides. We have to represent God in every situation. God doesn't need to be defended by us. God needs to be represented by us. So, so many times we're so busy picking sides, fighting and arguing when the reality is that God's kingdom is what we're part of. And God's kingdom is that rock that destroyed the empires and that became a mountain and took over the world. We're representing that kingdom. And last I checked, God doesn't need to be defended God needs to be represented. And when he's represented, we do that in love. The second major point about God's sovereignty is God's authority over nature. God's authority over nature. Daniel chapter 3, verses 25 to 27 says this. This is about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps prefects, governors, and the royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. No, I know we sang before about the God of miracles before, right? Think about that. They're in a blazing furnace that the king raised is seven times higher than what they normally do. Those that threw them in the furnace ended up dying. I don't know about you, but, you know, when I cook in the kitchen, you know, like, and some, well, Jen, Jen is a better cook. I don't want to get in trouble. Jen, Jen, Jen is a better cook than me, all right? So when I cook in the kitchen, there's a lot of time that fire, uh, the smoke alarm goes off. It gets really smoky. You know, I haven't burned anything too much, but that chicken was probably a little burnt the other day. But, you know, like, you know, all of a sudden, I know when I leave the kitchen, I smell a little smoky sometimes. Am I the only one here? Admit that you can't cook that well. You can't admit. 
You know, no one's raising their hand. You're going to leave me out here by myself? You know, you, all right, I see a hand out there. Yo, angel be burning that chicken with me. <laughs> so, um, so all I know, and it's funny because when I was little, I don't know if you experienced it, but my mom used to always cook in the morning before we used to go to school. So she used to cook because when she came home from work, then all of a sudden she didn't want to cook. So in the morning she's doing uh, bistec, steak, rice, and beans and stuff. Yo, that house smells like adobo, yo. Like the whole house was like smelling. Yo, I was going to school. My nickname was adobo. You know, like not just me, Rosie too. Yo, we smell like garlic every day. Like I, I remember as a little kid, I was sitting in school be like this. Oh, no, man, I smell. Yeah, so, and all, all I know, and then my dad, he didn't have good cologne. He had, like, brute or something like that, or Old Spice. Or, no offense if someone he- uh, here uses those things, but, you know, it just made adobo with brute and Old Spice is not a good combination. So I was a very smelly kid growing up, uh, you know, so please pray for me after service. I need some extra counseling or something. But... This is from the standpoint of a natural standpoint. When there's fire, there's smoke, we would smell. They would, we would be singed, our hairs, we would get burned. Here, nothing happened. Even if it doesn't make sense, God's sovereignty is over nature. Even with Daniel, Daniel chapter 6, verses 20 to 23, it says this. This is with Daniel in the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel, I love the word continually. And the king knew that Daniel was faithful to his king and says, have been able to rescue you from the lions then. Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. Like, imagine being there and seeing it happen. Like, all of a sudden you're there and you see it happen. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Here, you see God's sovereignty over nature. These lions were trained to kill, and we saw those that accused uh, Daniel, falsely accused them, they ended up getting killed with their families immediately when they were thrown. Like, I remember when Jen and I, we went to Africa when we were in Africa, and um, one of the things that we did, I know some of you know, we went there to help uh, support and build the school over there. But in addition to that, we did do um, a safari. And one of the things that we did too, we were in the Serengeti, and we were in a tent out there in the Serengeti with wild lions around. Anyone want to come with us again? No? Yeah, a couple of us. A couple, all right. Lions around. We were strictly warned that we weren't allowed to leave the tent in, for no reason. You're not allowed because the moment you step out of the tent, it was fair game for the animals to come and attack you, the lions to come. And if I ne- we needed something, we had a walkie-talkie where we had to call a guard. And the guard would come and they were Maasai warriors uh, also, uh, many of them um, during that time. And literally, they had spears as their weapons. I was like, yo, you, don't, you got like a gun or something? Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like you're going to kill them with a spear? Y'all go, poo poo, like shoot them or something. You know, like bring a machine gun. But they would walk around with spears and uh, they had swords and you... You knew you weren't in Elizabeth anymore. So all of a sudden, it was completely different. But you knew that these lions could kill you. I remember even during the nighttime we were sleeping, I was hearing noises outside that I've never heard in my life. 
Never. Here in Elizabeth, you hear like, you know, that cat that's screeching, like trying to get into their neighbor's house. You probably hear a squirrel jumping through trees or a broad street pigeon pooping on someone. Like, you know what I mean? Like you might hear and see different things, but in that setting, you knew that you were in a very dangerous setting. Here, what happens here didn't make sense. But God is sovereign over nature. The third major point is God's authority over people and their plans or even schemes. In Daniel's chapter, Daniel chapter 4, verses 31, 32, it says this. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. And it said, this is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You'll be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. So here, King Nebuchadnezzar, he had plans, he had schemes, he had schedules, but God is the ultimate authority and God had different plans. In Daniel chapter 5, verses 25 to 28, I want you to see it. I know I commented about it before. This is um, concerning King Belshazzar. It says, this is the writing on the wall. This is the inscription that was written, mene. Mene Tekel Parson. Here's what these words mean. Daniel giving revelation to what happened, uh, what was uh, written. Here is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. This is a different king. This is King Nebuchadnezzar's son. God decided, hey, your time is up. Something that's interesting too, if you see when it was written on the wall, it said Mene Mene, it said it twice. So God was kind of like, hey, if you didn't get it the first time, let me tell you again. I know for some of us, sometimes we got to be told things two or three or four times. Here, God was making it very clear. And mene means God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Mene. Then it said again, mene again. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. So here you see that God has authority over people and their plans. And lastly, the last major point is going to be behind me, God's authority over the future. I know so many times we worry about the future. What's going to take place tomorrow, a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, when we retire, like we, we allow worry to consume us. And here, God's authority over the future in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 15, it says this, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. Here you see the word sovereign again. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away referring about the future, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now, you also have to put this in context. A lot of the visions that Daniel received and during that time was about the empires and who's going to rule next and who's coming and all the changes. And here, what pretty much God is making clear that his kingdom will last forever and it's never going to um, be destroyed. And one of the greatest honors that we could have is to be a part of God's kingdom. 
Be a part of what he's doing, not what we're doing. Like so many, like I've mentioned before, so many times the way we approach God is tell God what we're doing, what we want to do, and ask God to bless it. That's a lot of ways the way Christians approach it. Imagine turning to God, and, but think, before I even say that, think of how prideful that is. Like it's kind of like, God, I'm the king of my life. This is what I'm planning. This is what I'm doing. Could you just come like a little genie in the bottle and could you just bless what I want to get done? That's like when you think about it, so many times Christians approach God that way. Instead of approaching God, be like, God, I'm nothing without you. It's an honor to be a part of your kingdom. I clearly see that your kingdom is advancing. What are you doing today, God? How could I be a part of the advancement of your kingdom throughout this world? All of a sudden, you're part of something that's never going to be destroyed. You're part of something that's going to live forever. You know the end of the story, that you're going to reign with God forever. Like, I'll never forget, and I know, like, in talking to Jesus, this is one of Jesus' favorite illustrations that Pastor Gary uh, would use back in the day. He gave the story once of him, like, he, obviously he, he would love watching baseball games and his favorite team was the New York Yankees. Um, that, that was a, a joke. Uh, it was the Boston Red Sox, but, you know. But he, you know, loved the Boston Red Sox. But what he was saying is that so many times he wasn't able to see the game, but he would record it. He would record the game, but when, and he would watch it afterwards late when he would get home to watch the game, and then all of a sudden, he would already know the final outcome. So no matter what happened in the game, he knows that they end up winning. So they could be down 12, 15, 20 runs, let's say, something crazy. He's not worried. He's not concerned. He knows the final outcome of the game, and in the same way with us, Like, we know the final outcome. We know that God reigns. He's sitting on the throne. He's sovereign. And his kingdom will rule forever. That's the outcome. God wins. God won. He wins. He continues winning. And nothing is going to stop God from winning. So no matter what is happening in our life, no matter how bad it might seem like the game is going or things are happening in our lives, we know ultimately that God reigns. So why should God's sovereignty be important to us today? Number one, I'm going to give you three reasons. One is rest. Rest. The reason why I say rest is because if you believe in God's sovereignty, you know that he's in control, not you. So you could rest. You could rest under God's wings, Psalm 91, trusting God of the fact that he reigns over everything, that you don't want, like, you don't have to worry. You don't have, God tells us, don't be anxious about anything, anything, but to pray about it, to bring it before him. So it's, it's a statement of faith and trust. So a big thing, when you believe in God's sovereignty, you find rest, rest. And something that the reason you find rest is that you know that he's in control. And for some of us, if you like to be in control, it's going to be hard for you to find rest. And it's hard for you to trust in God's sovereignty. I don't know about you, but there's people in this room that you love to be in control. And the more that you love to be in control, the more you worry, the more you stress, because you're not God. You're trying to figure everything out in your own mind and heart besides trusting God's sovereignty. I'm not saying that you don't work at something. I'm not saying that you don't do your best at something. But when things don't go according to your plan, you just trust God. You trust God. So number one is rest. Number two is contentment. You know that what you have in your life, God has allowed it and has given it to you. You, like, you live in contentment of what you have. So many times we're not content because we're too busy comparing ourselves to other people. 
It's like, oh, I want to get that nicer car or that nicer house or that nicer job or because we're always busy comparing with other people. But when you trust God's sovereignty, you realize that everything that comes your way, like God has allowed it. Everything that you own, God has given it to you. God has given it to you. The money you have, where you live, everything God has provided. And obviously, I'm not saying that you don't like strive to try to get other things, but with God's leading and guidance in where he's taking your life. So many times we feel like, and this is something, if you feel, this is a, a signs that you're struggling with contentment, trust in God, if you always feel like you don't have enough, you don't have enough. Like that's like a huge thing in your life. In different areas, you never have enough. You're always lacking and you're always comparing. If you feel as though you're always lacking, always comparing, you you never have enough, it's hard for you to trust God and the goodness that God has given us. Because I am sure that God's goodness is here among all of us. God has been good to every single one of us. Obviously, it looks different, but if we're too busy in comparing the goodness between one another and getting jealous, envious, and telling God, it's like, well, I want that type of goodness. Like, you know, instead of the goodness I have, we don't value, worship, and appreciate God and being content with the blessings from his hand. And let me tell you, the greatest blessing we have is God himself. So many times we chase after God's hand instead of his heart. We want to get God's blessings instead of knowing God. And we all have the opportunity of knowing God. And lastly is victory. Victory. How I mentioned before, we know the end of the story. No matter what, we know the end of the story. God wins. Even if our life feels like it's falling apart and there's a disaster everywhere around us, the end of the story, God wins. God wins and that God has given me victory. So many times we, we walk feeling defeated. We, we walk as if we, we always lose in everything, that we can't do anything. They, we literally have to change our mindset knowing that God that's victorious goes before us. Now, something that I, I know very well is that we're not, there's so many things that happen in life that we'll never understand. We won't understand. Because God being sovereign, there's evil that takes place in the world that God didn't do, but he allowed it. For some reason, he allowed it. And those are moments where we have to trust God. We have to trust God that God's sovereignty and from his vantage point, he sees things very different than the way we see it. And that's where we need to trust him. Something that I love, just two more verses, Daniel chapter three, verses 16 to 18 says this about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. He was very clear to the king. The God we serve is more than powerful. He's sovereign and he is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty hand, uh, majesty's hand. But verse 18 says, but even, but even if he does not. And I love this part. Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood that God was sovereign. He understood that God was able to do the impossible. He, they understood that God is able to deliver them from the worst situation, but sometimes God allowed things to happen. They understood it. So here all of a sudden, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had a choice. They could have complained, whined, 
uh, you know, or could it be like, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, psych, I'll bow down now. Like, you know, like, I, re- I didn't think you were really going to put me in the furnace. Now that I feel it, caliente eso. like, it's pretty hot. I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to bow. They could have changed their mind, but they clearly said right there, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. But even if you don't, even if he doesn't deliver us, I wonder for every single one of us, do we truly believe Romans 8.28? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Right now, this moment, for each of us, it's an opportunity for us to declare our trust in God's sovereignty. How I said, life so many times doesn't make sense, but God is sovereign. God is still sitting on the throne. But it's your choice to trust God. It's your choice to follow him even when things don't make sense, even when there's issues, even when there's problems. It's when you trust God's sovereignty, you're letting go of control. You're letting go of control. You're like, God, I'm not king. I'm not in control. You're king. When you trust God's sovereignty, you you celebrate his goodness in your life. You're not going to be comparing yourself to anyone else. You know that God has been good. And you know that you could also rest in him. And you know that victory is in his hands. Right now, if everyone could bow their heads. The book of Daniel is such a powerful book where it highlights God's sovereignty. Are you living, are you living your life acknowledging God's sovereignty, trusting God above everything? Or are you allowing the lions that surround you bring fear and cripple you? How I highlighted in that picture that I love is how Daniel kept his eyes fixed on God, and the miracle came from his trust and faith in the king. If you're here today and you just want to declare God's sovereignty over your life, you want to surrender everything and just literally just commit your entire life to God like never before, I want you to stand where you're at. I want you to stand. No matter what's happening in your life right now, you want to declare that God is your king. And you're not going to bow down to the world. You're not going to bow down to anything else. But you're only going to worship and bow down to God. And as you're standing where you're at, I want you to speak to God. for you to vocalize it through your lips. That God is your king. That you're surrendering everything to him. Some of us, we feel like we're in the lion's den and you want God to deliver you. Father God, we thank you for this day and we thank you for every single person that's here and those watching through the live stream. And God, as we stand up and declare, God, that you are king, God, we acknowledge that you're king of our lives, God. Forgive us for getting in our own way, in in, in the way of what you want to do in our lives. Forgive us for trying to make ourselves kings. Forgive us for chasing after so many things besides your heart, God. Forgive us for allowing fear in the world and politics and so many different things in our society and culture cripple us, blind us, divide us, mislead us, and to keep our eyes away from the fact that your king and your kingdom reigns and you're advancing your kingdom every single day, God, and you give us the opportunity to be a part of it, a part of it, God. So God, right now, this moment, we just declare your sovereignty. We declare that you're king of our lives, God, and we just pray, Lord God, that you would transform us from the inside out, that we would be a part of what you're doing, God, 
every single day. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch On Demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.